Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, my name's Adam from Toronto, Ontario, and I subscribe to the Creative Control Patreon because I feel that uh, at the end of the day, uh, there are very few people in the industry who are able to consistently get the kind of quality interviews out of very diverse subjects of many creative stripes and disciplines, as Vish does pretty well on every episode of the podcast. It's a no-brainer to me that I want to support this when you factor that in to uh, all of the bonus content you get on Patreon, and, you know, it's a listener's supported podcasts so uh, i want to keep the uh, great content coming so that's why you should also support creative control on patreon to make your flexible monthly donation to creative control please visit patreon.com slash creative control today Kathleen Edwards is an expressive singer, gifted songwriter, and acclaimed musician based near her hometown of Ottawa, Ontario. Having released compelling solo albums in a rootsy rock vein since 2003, Edwards announced she was stepping away from music altogether to start her own cafe, the Stittsville-based Quitter's Coffee. The surprising news arrived not long after she released her 2012 album, Voyageur, which was co-produced by Edwards and Justin Vernon of Bonnie Vare, and shortlisted for Canada's prestigious Polaris Music Prize. With time away to contemplate life, Edwards has made a triumphant return to songwriting with 2020's Total Freedom, which is out now via Dual Tone Records, and it prompted Kathleen and I to have an extensive and candid conversation about why she left and subsequently returned to music the clinical depression diagnosis and coping methods that saved her life, humanization and freedom, 
The music she heard and people who inspired the sound and tone of Total Freedom, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free including performances by past podcast guests like Lisa LeBlanc plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton this is the 560th episode of Creative Control featuring the multi-talented Kathleen Edwards with your host, me, Vish Khanna. And you don't have to say it Cause nobody's harder on me than me And if you don't believe it Then there's nothing I can say But I was endless with you I would have thought you wanted to For 39 years I've been keeping my own Hi, Kathleen. How's it going? I'm good, Vish. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, Where in the world are you today? I'm in Chelsea, Quebec, which is Ottawa. I live on the... I am in the process of moving to the Quebec side of of Ottawa, the dark side, as they say. (laughs) Who says that? Who says it's the... (laughs) Oh, it's the beautiful. It's the beautiful side. I'm, I'm moving into the area of the Gatineau Hills. I mean, it's actually... It's where all the smart people live, apparently. Oh, well, congratulations. What I mean, congratulations on the one hand, but what prompted the move, if I may ask? Oh, well, um, I'm moving uh, because I've met a wonderful person and he lives here and um, I was kind of ready to sell my home and do something different. So that just worked out beautifully. And he lives in Chelsea. Oh, okay, great. That's congratulations on the new relationship as well, if I might say. Yes. Well, it's a good one. So you can congratulate me all you like. I won the lottery. <laughs> Is it weird to congratulate someone on a relationship? I don't know. Congratulations. Someone thinks you're satisfactory. <laughs> Congratulations. You fooled well, someone. What could be more celebratory than a lovely union between two people? I mean, you got a new house. <laughs> I'm like, congratulations, a building. Like, that was my impulse, and now I'm second-guessing congratulating you for being in love. That's, that's a weird thing that I just did. I think well, that's he lets weird. me. He lets me sleep in the shed, so you know it's <laughs> humble. It's a humble beginning. <laughs> well, no, that's that's a lot of upheaval, I would think, and uh, it seems to me there's some narrative around your return to music, and and maybe within that a recognition that there was some kind of upheaval. I know you've talked about this uh, to other people, and and uh, but I haven't talked to you about it, so I kind of want some. And and people listening may not know. Can you talk about the fact that this is something of a re- this is a return uh, from semi-retirement, right? Your new album, Total Freedom, is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I, d- I did a working sabbatical for six years, um, where I started up a new business called Quitters Coffee in Stittsville, Ontario, and mm. it was really on the heels of me actually saying, "I think I'm done playing music," and. Really, I just, I, I really was in a pretty low place in my life, both just physically and emotionally. 
I was suffering or I just was in the process of recovering from going through a period of a few years of having clinical depression and, mm. you know, finally kind of being able to be diagnosed and medicated. And and so, yeah, really, my relationship with music was really fractured and my relationship with the lifestyle of, of doing that was really fractured. So I um, I decided to just let it go and it was a really kind of freeing thing even though it was scary as hell and I ended up running a cafe for quite a few years and it was a great way to find my rooting somewhere build a community around me and just be completely out of the music bubble and that was just so it was just really healing you know hmm in music circles, particularly in Canada, we talk about the Canadian musical community. You just invoked the idea of creating a, a different kind of community. As someone who's a touring artist, I guess it's difficult to establish those kind of local connections. Is that fair to say? I think that is at the core of what really ended up leading to my sort of feeling, like I said, fractured. I think I... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, I have, be, I have in, incredible friends and colleagues in the Canadian music scene and in the U.S. music scene. Um, everyone is supportive and loving, but you know you don't see those people every day. Yeah. You're off doing your own thing. You're in your own van. You're playing your own show, and when you're when you get time together, it's wonderful. But it's a fleeting moment, and. Yeah, yeah. I never knew my neighbors very well. I never had people in my life that I saw every day who I was able to build a connection with that had nothing to do with the fact that they listened to my music. You know, there was that mm. sort of piece too, right? Some ego in there too, right? You're not really sure. When people connect with you when you're an established public figure, I assume you've gone through this feeling of like, do they actually like me? Do they like my work? Are they really interested in cultivating a relationship with me as a person? Are they using me for something? Have you had those thoughts? Yeah, I think that's, I really actually think it's amazing that you brought that up because there's sort of a perception that people, you know, famous people are always inaccessible. Mm. And there's a reason that you get to a certain place of being a public persona essentially and you have to have some protection and you have to have a wall up around you and you have to have people with whom you have to get through first if you're going to get to me or to whoever mm -hmm. and the reason is is because there's weird people out there and sometimes people don't realize that you're also a person and that you're allowed to have a reasonable boundaries mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's also part of the job. Look, there's, I'm not, it's not, I don't say that in a way where I complain, but a perfect example is, um, and it was really great to just have this happen again, where I did an interview with, um, Tom Power for CBC Radio Q. Mm -hmm. And I did the interview from Quitters, my coffee shop in the main, on the main street of Stittsville. And it was happened to be closed that day. Um, so I did my interview there and not 20 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. And it was a guy who had driven from the next town over, was knocking on the door, and my employee, Amanda, went to the door and said, well, sir, we're closed. Well, I just heard Kathleen on the radio, and she they said she was here, oh. and I was wondering if I could talk to her. And the guy didn't, he, he didn't, hadn't heard my name before, he hadn't, he didn't know what my music sounded like, he'd never been to my coffee shop before, and he, but he thought that he should have time with me without even realizing that that's just 
kind of not normal behavior. Right. And so your ego does need a break from feeling like that's always going to be your connection with people is that you have to be very careful and you have to be distant and you have to be essentially removed. And it was so nice to be able to build a trusting relationship with a lot of the people who ended up coming to Quitters. And yeah. and that was really meaningful. You just invoked distance. And earlier you were talking about um, some of the feelings you had six years ago that forced you into a kind of self-isolation, so to speak, at least from uh, the music business and, and what you were known for and what your persona was known for, you decide to return. <laughs> you release an album in the midst of a period where everyone is in, unfortunately, un totally unfortunately, and, and against their will, I guess, involuntarily, in kind of that zone where they have to isolate and, and be apart from people. Has that I don't know if that's ironic necessarily, but has that has that resonated with you? Like you've come back in a period where everyone is kind of ideally, I guess, having to keep their distance. Has that occurred to you? Yeah, it's occurred to me in two ways. The first way is back in March when my label had committed to releasing my album in August under very different circumstances. We kind of all got on the phone and talked about postponing. Mm. And I actually made a, a, a plea to continue and actually put the record out now. And I, the reason I felt that that was worth doing was because for years I had this kind of uncomfortable relationship with the fact that people were really connect, people really connected emotionally um and were in very invested in and appreciative of my work and I really struggled to hear it be, partly because I think I just felt so vulnerable all the time and and I felt so exposed because I was writing work that was pretty deeply personal or the the projection of it being personal and so I was always I I received I didn't I had a I had a hard time receiving sort of like this love and kindness and compliments from from people. Mm. And then when I took a break I was finally able to appreciate how meaningful it was that my work meant something to somebody. And in this moment I realized, you know, those were the things that really re kind of charged me and reinstilled my faith in the fact that I do good work and that I can keep going. And so yeah, this time I can tell people feel incredibly isolated and, and vulnerable and I feel really strong. Like I've really healed and I've really done some work on on myself in a way where I'm like, maybe this is a really great time to put out music as a return of favors or a return of kindness that people have shown me. Yeah. And maybe it will be to the detriment of, you know, the marketing machine of, of a music release, but that's far more meaningful. The connection with people is far more lasting than, you know, me playing on a couple of late night TV shows. So yeah. I just thought maybe that was worth. And then this, in the second way, I actually woke up, my record came out on Friday, August 14th. And I did a, I had weeks and weeks of pretty stressful scheduling, doing tons of interviews and preparing stuff at my coffee shop to do a live stream. Mm -hmm. And it was really overwhelming and it was intense 
And I woke up on Saturday morning and I turned to my boyfriend and I said, what do I, what happens now? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm not going on tour in three weeks. I'm not going in t- on tour in six weeks or two months, three months. Like, I, And I actually am going through a week of wondering if I... It's. I, I wonder if it's that thing that people talk about after they get married, where they go to like through a post wedding depression, where they're like mm-hmm. so much energy and focus goes into this one day, and the day comes and goes, and you sort of feel like bottomed out. So I'm feeling a little scared that yeah. I did this thing and it's not going to go anywhere because I can't go anywhere. Well, I will say that I've been heartened by the fact that the lines of musical production, if you will, I don't mean. Uh, people making or producing records. I just mean, we've seen certain work have to stop because of the pandemic. We've heard of TV productions that can't continue, uh, films, these kind of film releases even being delayed. It has been heartening that so many records that are coming out now, you know, were made either pre-pandemic or just at the tail end of when we were in lockdown. And so they're just coming out. And to be honest, it's, it's like I say, I think it's kind of heartening that in the midst of this suspension, we're getting all this, all these great albums uh, coming out by people like you. And in your case, it's a particularly triumphant story because you've been gone uh, ostensibly from public life for for six years. So, the, like the flip side of this, <laughs> I was in my own quarantine. I was having my own little few years of quarantine. <laughs> right. Actually, this uh, this is uh, I want to kind of circle back on what you were saying about your recognition of your own depression. Earlier, we were kind of joking about um, how I was congratulating you on on certain things, but uh, like your house and your relationship. I actually, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I went through a thing a few years ago that I think it was a recognition of anxiety more than depression, but I feel like it trained me a little bit. Like I feel lucky that I discovered this about myself because it kind of trained me to be prepared for a, this moment i didn't think of it at the time but like i mentioned you know you're coming back while you self-isolated now everyone's kind of self-isolating you went through a a period of recognizing your depression and now that is really rampant so i feel like your return is sort of poignant on a couple of levels do you feel like do you have some perspective on that the fact that you kind of you know were told or, or recognized that you had depression and now you're entering this phase and you say you're in a good place do you see that as a weird kind of training? <laughs> Training's the wrong word, but do you feel like you were kind of mentally prepped because you recognized this illness in yourself and, and that shored you up for what's going on now? Absolutely, 100%. Hmm. The day I sat in a doctor's office with this great psychiatrist who just, you know, about 20 minutes into us talking, and of course, you know, I probably cried through 18 minutes of it, and she just said, I really believe you have clinical depression. Mm -hmm. It was like someone gave me, I had to pee for like five hours and someone finally gave me a hall pass (laughs) to go. (laughs) I mean, it was such, uh, it was such a gift to have someone name it. It was such a relief. It was such a relief. And then it gave me an opportunity to go, okay, what do I need to do to try and feel better? Yeah. And I would imagine I, I do imagine that through this, I've had to check in with that sort of demon a bunch of times and go, man, I feel really low today. Is this depression again? Or 
what am I, what are the choices I'm making in my life that are affecting my well-being and I'm overextending myself or I'm allowing a relationship to erode everything that I work towards to be well, like things like that. Yeah. And I do really believe that once you go through something like this, you're able to, like you said, you know, you realize you have anxiety. As soon as you realize that that's what it is that makes your feel that feeling of discomfort within yourself, you'll go, okay, well, what is the one or two things I can do differently right now, today, or say to myself, or call someone up and go, I can't X because I'm not feeling up for it today. Those are the th tools that you end up putting in your toolbox. Yeah. And it's really helped me for sure. Like even in this time where, you know, I, I've learned to just try not to sort of forecast all the potential bad things that can happen or worry less or stop being so hard on myself for not having answers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, part of my part of my own anxiety is hypochondria induced. So this pandemic is great. Uh, no, I, I, wow. <laughs> no, I'm actually, like yeah, I said, no, that would be really, you hard. don't have that. I mean, as a touring musician, health and wellness is not usually on the forefront of, uh, no offense to anyone, but booking agents or, or, you know, venue operators, you roll into town, they assume you're fine. Uh, and they assume that you're ready to do a 36 nights in somehow 33 days. I don't know if that math actually makes sense, but like, so there's part of me that wonders about when you say you recognize your depression and part of that i think was a rejection of music on some level it wasn't just the creative impulse i assume you were this infrastructure has kind of got me down and i need to take a break from the hamster wheel is that fair hugely fair i i was really i i i had a manager from the time i was about 22 23 and i worked with him until i was uh, until the time, basically, I decided I was taking a break from music. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a significant amount of time. And that was the same, a lot of the same booking agents. I had the same record company. I had the, all of the infrastructure was the same. And I, you know, it's really funny. Like, I, I got married when I was 24. Mm. And my husband and I, Colin, we broke up when I was 30. I had changed so much in those years. Like I had grown as a person so immensely during those times as as all people in their 20s, by the time they're 30, they've had a huge amount of life experience. They're very different than the people they were. And I, I yeah. think that's, that's the same to be said now. And I think being a woman in my mid 30s, I'd gone through, I'd committed so much of my energy and my emotional, I was so emotionally invested and I was financially invested in the idea that I was playing music. And when you're 35 and you're a, a woman who, you know, hasn't had a lot of home life, there's a switch that goes off for some people to say like, wow, I really I'm missing something here. Like I'm missing a big part of of something that I've grown into and I've changed into. Yeah, and some of that, within a recognition like that, I would assume, particularly if there are other people, like ex external people to maybe, well, external to yourself, external to your circle, that can impact your trajectory and color your feelings about the whole experience. Like, I think of a song on your new album, Fool's Ride, and um, I'm not exactly sure where that came from necessarily, and I, if you feel compelled to talk about it, please do, but like... I do get the sense that you are 
this is an interesting way of conveying anger. Like you've done it in a, I don't want to say more reasoned way. Like it's not simply rage. You've really artfully captured hard feelings. And maybe in your youth, they would have come out a little more ironic or with a bit of humor. This feels very direct, the songs on this record. Do you th- Correct me if I'm wrong on that uh, from your perception, but they feel very direct and the result of deep thoughts about what it is you're trying to convey about people, about experiences. Do you feel that shift in your songwriting or in your focus as a, as a storyteller? I think I'm far less concerned about what, you know, with, I say with little quote fingers, my team <laughs> yes. feels or thinks about my work. And mm-hmm. to be fair, I have a, I've had a pretty, I have a pretty new, you know, I've had a clean slate. I have different management. I, you know, I've started a, a new chapter in sort of the, the, you know, bunny ears my team yeah but uh, the other thing that really changed was because i left that infrastructure and i went and opened my own business and i was the person who was solely responsible for things like getting a loan signing a lease agreement getting a lawyer to incorporate me hiring people firing people ordering supplies and when something goes wrong you have to call a person and and hold them accountable or you are accountable to other people directly not through a manager not through an agent you directly and it really forced me to have to take sort of a real ownership of my how I feel and what I think and I I was able to do it without apology and you know definitely there's there's learning in all of that meaning I wasn't always right and I wasn't always wrong but I learned how to speak for myself and I know that sounds really crazy because I think there is a little bit of a perception that I'm this like super tough mouthy say you know hard on my sleeve and I you know go for the go for the punch in my songs but really I never had to actually hold someone accountable or have those tough conversations. There was always someone doing it on my behalf. That's right. And that has allowed Mm. me to feel far less inhibited as a songwriter today than it did 10 years ago, 100%. Yeah, like managing a band, I assume, is far different than managing people at a business. Like I, I make the joke often that I... The only people I raise my voice to generally, sadly, are my children and sometimes my parents. <laughs> like uh, if I'm in, if I'm in, of if I, well, if I've been in positions of uh, management, I don't, I've never really raised my voice at someone. I've tried to consider, you know, I, I just, I don't get angry at them. And I assume that you're, if you think back on it, when you've been cross with someone in your 20s and you were managing a band, there's a slight informality to that where you can be like, no, you know, F you, you didn't do the thing that I asked you to do. Whereas when you're managing a business and you're an adult, like I think you were kind of describing what my, what we call adulting, <laughs> you know, yes. getting a lawyer, getting the, all that stuff. That's like adulting. My wife often says, oh, I'm so sick of adulting. So th- th- that comes with years and experience, right? Like you've learned probably from managing quitters how to interact with people in your band or producers a bit differently too, right? Entirely. I mean, I'm just really a lot more comfortable saying, here's what I need or here's what I expect or that doesn't work for me. And I know they seem like small things, but really 
in music especially a lot of these relationships are rooted in in friendship first yes. you know like jim bryson my co-producer and my bandmate i mean we were pals when nothing was happening you know when we when we were i was in my early 20s like you know booking it through the city of ottawa like i mean we didn't think about what our business relationship would be in 20 years down the road mm-hmm. but it's allowed me to you know those are hard it's a hard transition to make from friend to employee employer yeah, yeah. so yeah it really has shifted a little bit of that i just also i'm far more comfortable acknowledging that there's there's business in art and i'm perfectly happy to acknowledge that and i'm i'm really happy to also not worry about if i say something that that someone doesn't agree with like i'm i'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings and i don't yeah feel hurt that someone doesn't agree with me and i'm perfectly capable of having a reasonable conversation which ends in we can agree to disagree you know i mean that's the stuff that ultimately i'm far more comfortable with than i than before when i was worried if i screwed up you know the guy some guy from clear channel was gonna you know blacklist me which did happen you know i mean and i felt you know i was just terrified i would do that again so i i tried to always mind my p's and q's yeah when i asked about some of the song writing and and you know you have this very rich expressive voice and and you've always had that but I, i i guess what i'm getting at and i think what we're talking about is just as you mature you kind of, as people do, not you, <laughs> but as people mature, you kind of tend to manage your tone a little better, I hope, because enough people will say, hey, man, like tonally, well, they won't say that, but like you're, maybe you're being a bit sarcastic or your tone is, I thought your tone wasn't even what you said. It was your tone. Have you, have has anyone ever told you, Kathleen, I don't like the tone? And have you then taken that into consideration <laughs> the next time you have to address a situation like that? Uh, well, social media <laughs> has certainly taught us all a lot about misunderstandings yes, and, yes. and lack of tone, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, I always think that's funny because I've never misread the tone of a book. But for some reason, people will misread the, misread the tone of a text or a, a social media post. And I don't remember this happening when I was an English student where people are like, well, clearly this is all being this is a very sarcastic book. Like, I mean, you could you could make the argument, but I just something's going on with our our comprehension of the written word, isn't it? I don't know. Because I read the lyrics on the page from your uh, from your record, and then I hear you sing them, and they seem aligned. Like, I feel like I, I get what you're getting at in many cases, and uh, I don't hear, like, a, what do people say about some of your older stuff, that it's acerbic? Have you heard that? Yeah. Is that a compliment? I feel like that kind of is a compliment somehow. <laughs> it's like a, a recognition of your sense of humor almost. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I generally, I mean, I'm from the school of John Prine. There's no question. That yeah. was one of the things that the day I heard a John Prine song, my my mind blew up. I just loved it. I mean, actually, yeah. I knew a John. I, one of the first songs I ever learned at camp when I was 12 years old was a John Prine song, but I didn't even know it was a John Prine song. And I mean, that's a perfect example. Randy Newman is another perfect example yes. of people who bring a lot of you know, backhanded and sarcastic uh, and double entendre to their songs. And I, I just love that. I mean, that's smart. That just appeals to my to my sense of humor entirely. Yeah. OK, cool. So one question I have about this time, you the break you took. I remember you announcing the break. Am I wrong? Didn't you not like say I'm taking a break? 
Yeah, I I remember I I wrote on I think my Facebook my Facebook page something like, you know, I really I think I'm done. And it was because I was trying to write again, you know, I was sort of in that, okay, well, I've been home for six months and it's time to start working on new music. And I just kept kind of stalled, like I would keep picking up a guitar or sitting at the piano and everything that came out just felt so reminiscent of everything that I just wanted to leave and leave behind me. I didn't want to yeah. keep. So it just, it just was like, I'm not going to perpetuate this continual state of unhappiness. Like... There's no point. This isn't making me feel good. Well, I assume uh, making a public pronouncement like that, because other artists just take a break and we don't know why. They just, and then when they end up running into someone maybe like me who says, hey, what's going on? They say, I don't have anything yet. And eventually we hear from them. I wonder if you made that public pronouncement as much for yourself uh, as you did your fans to just be like, I've definitively said, I'm not. I'm not in a kind of writer's block mode. I really feel like I shouldn't continue. Was that maybe part of the impulse? Oh, sure. Sure. Maybe it was one of, it would made it real or something. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I think I just, yeah. I think I just was frustrated and just wanted to, maybe by declaring it, it just let me off the hook. Like, okay, now I can focus on something else. So what do you do so, it, wh- when you say this and you do this and you, you you concentrate on quitters? Are the songs coming to you still? Because you are a songwriter, you're an artist. Those impulses are not a faucet that you can turn on and off as much as you, I, w- I think, anyway, for the most part. I mean, I think you tried to do that. But were you like, oh, shit, a song just came up. I got to do something no. with this. No, not at all? No, no, uh, no. I When I started putting into place the idea that I was going to open a cafe um, as anyone who's opened a business with a front door that customers can walk in through I can promise you your life is over I mean it requires a hundred percent of your energy and time and focus all the time and I realized about a year into quitters opening um, you know I never have a day off it was open seven days a week I mean we we're flying by the seat of our pants Every day you were multitasking and problem solving a new problem that you hadn't yet encountered. And I mean, I, I realized, yeah, you're in. I was like, this is not the kind of thing I can wear both hats. I can't be here today and then go home and feel like writing a song. They're just my one is a organizational based business management, you know, problem solving yeah. task based. Yeah. And the other one is this sort of elusive, open ended creative hat and they're they're not compatible so when i was in quitters and i was focused on quitters there was no music making there was no real creative stuff at all interesting so in this period of suspension i've talked to many artists and i know myself i'm listening to more music than i ever have in lieu i guess of going to see it or play it with people um did you find you in in sort of stopping did you reject all music or, or did you find that you were listening an active listener to maybe new stuff or did you take comfort in older records? Uh, what was your listening experience like at that time? My listening experience around the time that I took a huge break from being the per- a person who made it was that I would listen to anything and 
whatever I listened to, I was so actively listening and I was deconstructing and I was listening like, oh, how does drum sound? Is that a good drum? You know, I wonder, oh, there's a tambourine hit. I wonder what measure it's on. Oh, I wonder how much reverb's on that vocal. Like I would listen to things with a very analytical um, ear and instead of just letting somebody's song or somebody's idea or somebody's emotion and and composition just kind of wash over you, uh, I listened to it in a very, frankly, unpleasing way. You know, you just don't get any pleasure from it because you're so focused on deconstructing it. And as soon as I moved into running the shop, of course, most coffee shops you walk into have music on at all times. Um, and in varying volumes <laughs> and, um, and it was just actually really fun to start thinking about, Oh, what do I want to put on today? Oh, I'm going to start with this Beth Orton record. I haven't heard in 10 years. And yeah. then I'm going to listen to that war on drugs record that just came out. And then I'm going to listen to Joe Cocker cause he just passed away and I'd love to listen to some of his catalog. And suddenly my listening experience went into basically what I, what I would refer to as sort of like indirect listening you know where it's just on in the background and sometimes you're you actually stop you stop what you're thinking about or who you're talking to and you you're listening to it a little bit um and then you go back to having other things to do and i think the sentiment of music is actually far more it, it gives you a chance to really hear things and absorb them in a really lasting way when you come back to them three or four times and they're just sort of on and little sparks of songs come back up. And you're like, Oh yeah, I remember that melody from last time I played the record. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love that song. That, that song. I remember thinking what that, what, you know, and that's how I re that's how I re engaged with listening to music and loving listening to music again. It's an interesting evolution you describe because you suggest that you were able to, turn off your creative impulses as a songwriter but in the midst of what you were just saying I got the impression you were listening to music critically like a producer might um you know the sounds the engineering almost and I wonder if in retrospect you can recognize that as maybe some research (laughs) you were like I'm done I'm not going to do this anymore but wait a minute what does that snare drum sound like that that is kind of cool what if like someday I'm going to kind of put this in my mental uh you know uh database and maybe i'll think of that next and you just invoked uh the war on drugs and uh songs like heart on everyone did evoke that and i when i hear glenn fern i think of uh ron sexsmith's strawberry blonde a little bit and i just thought of you listening to other people and how that's sort of seeping in to this expression am i making too much of this kathleen am i am i is this too much of a forensic deep dive no, I think you're totally bang on. I, look, from day one, I mean, I, 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 I am as are all creators. We are we are byproducts of our influences, and maybe over the course of being somebody who is creating, creating, creating all the time, and not making room for being influenced by anything or being hearing things in a way that really, like, I loved certain records would come out. I think, oh, that's really good, mm-hmm. but. It didn't have time to sit in my DNA, I guess, maybe. Um, But there's no question. Like, my first record sounded like Ani DeFranco because I loved and worshipped Ani DeFranco. (laughs) And then I I loved and worshipped Tom Petty. And Back to Me came out. And that's obviously, you know, representative of that influence Mm. at at times. 
and those things evolve. Yeah. You know, I just the idea that my new record has sonically sort of latched on to everything that I loved that I listened to in the last five, six, seven yeah. years would only be a huge compliment because I listen to amazing music. <laughs> you do. I, I, that, that, that does seem good for you. Congratulations on that. No, it does. That does come across, I would say. And I don't mean it in a, uh, a way that suggests, uh, you know, some lack of originality. It's just I can hear your influences here more um, than uh, and as you're speaking, as you're talking about how you listen to music. It's really, music's weird. The background music, supposedly, it gets into your subconscious, doesn't it? Like that music in the cafe, you don't even think about it, probably. Like you say, you're not conscious of it. You're working. Right. But it's there, isn't there? It gets in your head. Imagine if we took Glenn Gould and said, well, Glenn Gould, you know, he's, a, he's I guess he was a good piano player, but, you know, he was just playing Bach the whole time. I mean... Right, right. Uh, he didn't write his own work. Uh, I mean... Look, yeah. the other a couple of months ago, we sat around and talked about that song "Hard on Everyone" on my record, and immediately we'd sort of come up. My guitar player came up this line, and the drummer had this part, and two of the guys were like, "It really sounds like War on Drugs." And I said, "Well, I love it, and I is that terrible? What a great band!" And we've been list. I've been listening to them as much as anyone over the last five yeah. years. They're a huge influence of mine. Of course, that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. Imagine if we picked a crappy band to for someone to compare us to. Yeah, like I haven't invoked all the songs in your new album that sound like Kid Rock uh, because I don't <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I just think that would be wrong wrong to highlight. I think that's wrong. Oh God, yeah, that's I, good. <laughs> there's a song on the record called um, "Ashes to Ashes." It's a profound and uh, sad song on on the one hand. Uh, I know from the materials I, I've been given that it was inspired. Uh, by the loss of a, a, a customer at Quitters, and I know that some of, the, from what I can tell, some of the other songs are contemplating uh, older relationships. I guess what I'm wondering, I'm wondering about what you feel. Some of the things you feel that have inspired these songs since you got back to writing, uh, how much of it is informed, either subtly or directly, by your experience running Quitters. And um, and also why maybe revisit some of these old painful memories? Is that part of the healing process on some level? Can you speak to those things? Well, Ashes to Ashes, I wrote it not long after I had sort of re consciously removed myself from quitters for the purpose of starting to write. Uh, and that, that song actually came to me very easily. And it was just one of these life experiences where... I re I think being a cafe owner, like I joked when I, the first year that I opened it, I went from knowing nobody to knowing everybody and not just everybody. I knew who was getting divorced. I knew who was selling their house. I knew who was in the outs with the, you know, their neighbor. I knew whose dog ran away last week. I mean, I knew everything because yeah. you become the, you become the hub for town chatter. Like you just know, and you get to know people and you get to, I knew when, you know, Sarah was having a really bad day and she'd come in and I could just, you just tell by her body language because you get to know people. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I became a lot more uh, sort of connected with was realizing that 
people really go through a lot of stuff and maybe not every day, but when you know a lot of people and see a lot of people every day, something really, really tough is going on for someone at any given time. And when that customer um, passed away, Ben, you know, I I just, um, it wasn't a close friend of mine. But all I could feel was like, it wasn't just the loss of him and the loss of him being somebody who came into quitters. I just felt like I was suddenly able to see the picture that was painted of all of these other people who were impacted by his death. And I just felt so, you know, heartbroken for them. And then when I came home from the funeral and wrote that song, I this is kind of a strange segue, but... I would. I knew that I was in the last year of uh, my relationship with my dog Red, mm. and he was a guy. He was a beautiful old golden retriever who just was my. I joked that he was my husband, um, and I knew that he he was going to not make it another year. I knew that he was in his last. You know, his last his last year. And, yeah, yeah. and I think what's really hard about people dying abruptly is you don't have that moment to whether or not it's good or bad or brings you comfort or not. You don't actually get that time to acknowledge that this is, this is, we're going to be winding down. Yeah. This is, you know, I'm going to be here in a few months and you're not. And that's more what that song was about was, you know, just that moment where you get to kind of, you actually at least get to say goodbye and some people you don't. And that's, that's what's so devastating about life sometimes. It it seems to me that the subtext of a lot of what we're talking about in terms of your connection to communities and and the people like knowing people as people, we're getting to a, a zone here where I feel like you are coming to terms with the fact that we need to humanize ourselves a bit. I feel like you've humanized yourself from, persona to I'm a person with feelings and problems and I live in a town with people who have problems they are actual they're not statistics like I often talk on this show and to people about how I feel like we are particularly fractured and dehumanized Um, you know you talked about this guy just showing up because he heard your disembodied voice on the radio and I think part of what he was probably doing was is this a real person Uh, is, is this actually someone I can go talk to and that's probably not the, like you said, that's not how things work uh, generally. But on the other hand, he was reaching out or people like that are reaching out to try to humanize. And, and, and on some level, I think that's sort of sorry, that example, bad example. I don't think that was healthy that he came to your coffee shop after hearing you on cue. Very bad. I just want to reiterate that right now. But I do feel like what you're talking about is this humanization of people. And I wonder if you feel like that's going on on this record for yourself and for the people in your uh, orbit? Well, it was a huge shift of my ego to be accessible in a very different way at Quitters. Yeah. And where my job was really just to provide like customer service and a coffee, you know, and be, be nice. And they didn't, like I said earlier, they didn't have this context usually of, they weren't at Quitters because they wanted to see me sing. Um, they, you were a person. And, you were a person. You weren't an artist, yeah, right? I was a, you weren't an entity. Right. You were not Kathleen Edwards, someone on Twitter. You were an actual person. And that's kind of where I'm coming from, I guess, with 
my bizarre line of yeah. questioning. Like, I just feel like you are in this record maybe exemplifying like human connection, real people, not statistics. Like, sorry, I just as we live through this pandemic, I feel a lot of politicization and statistics like 171,000 people have died in America. Well, those are actually people. They're not political you know, tools to use uh, in either yeah. either case. And I feel like there's something about, like you said, like I needed to get out of this. Was social media, was the internet like part of the pressure you felt to like, I got to get away from this stuff and just do something real? Well, I will say that, that my experience with being somebody who is talked about, uh, let's say on social media, you know, in very limited ways. I don't, I'm not talking about like, I'm not Katy Perry. I know mm-hmm. it's fine. But that experience of chatter and, and it, it's very enticing to want to see what's being said about you, or it's very enticing to participate, or it's incredibly hard to see a negative comment directed at you or about you and not be able to let it go yeah, right yeah. away. It's very challenging. Yeah. And, I think what has prepared, it's prepared me incredibly well for not just going forward in this industry, but actually with, um, with COVID, I tell everybody who will listen, turn off the news, Hmm. get off your device. We were all on our, on our devices a lot. And now what's happened is it's become such a normalized way in which we interact because we've been you know, basically isolated from one another. And it's the only thing that we can connect through. It's not always the way in which we should be connecting. It's very, it can be very polarizing. It can be very, it has such negative energy. It can immediately create very negative thoughts and feelings. And the news is the same thing. Sure. Okay. Get the weather and, you know, touch base once every day or two about, you know, something that might be interesting to you. But honestly, I'm telling you, as somebody who had to go out of my house and go to my business and unlock the door and reopen and hire people back and see customers, that was a great exercise in going, what inf- what is in front of me is far different than what's being talked about through a screen. Mm. People are not statistics. Not everyone is hiding in their home afraid. And people who are encouraged to actually come out and participate will see that it's not scary out here. Like we are okay. I've been, my business has been open since May long weekend. Two to 300 people walk into my cafe every day. None of them are getting COVID. My staff aren't Mm. sick. I'm not sick. Like, we need to put things into a much healthier context. It is much better for people to be out and 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 being careful, yes, but like stop listening to the news that we're like everything is going to fall apart if you don't stay at home and wash your hands 20 it's times. It's interesting a day. you say this. Yeah, you can come yeah. out. You can come out and and it's better for you to see people and to you know honestly like as I, people had tears in their eyes the first week quitters open because they were they just were missing so much a part of their life that felt like normalcy and like no one's making out when they see each other like you know like let's let's put things in context well, let, let's be honest some people are making out at quitters i'm sure i mean let's it's it's the vibe i'm sure is well uh, i have actually <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it, i think it all depends on your context like i'm I'm speaking to you from Edmonton, which was just put on like provincial watch because the rates are rising so fast 
and uh, we're heading towards uh, some sort of lockdown. So I, I'm with you on the one hand, like, and I have a friend who's just like, stop, why do you track it? Like, why do you read about it? I'm like, I have kids and I want to stay informed and as best I can, but I do question the information coming my way, not in a conspiratorial way, but like when the government here is like, everyone go back to school. Really? Like, what are you doing to facilitate that? So you can recognize, I'm sure, Kathleen, that, you know, some of us need to stay informed and potentially, you know, make some decisions on our own. It's not necessarily living in fear. It's that it's a real thing. I mean, it's it's something to be aware oh, Yeah, I... In no way am I suggesting that m- how I feel is how people should be. My my number one feeling is everyone is going to handle this time within their own sense of self comfort, yeah. and they that is the most important thing. It's the moralizing that I I reject. The moralizing of you're not doing it right. Yeah, and. Yeah. I really object, I reject that. I also have to say I do not have children, and so that filter is not part of my functioning, and so I'm in no way uh, qualified to have any opinions about people <laughs> and how they conduct with their children and what their feelings and thoughts are about it because that's not that's that I don't have I don't have that personal experience to yeah. draw from, and so I'm not. I'm not interested in making it sound like in any way I have an opinion on that. No, well, I guess what I'm getting at is my wife will check in and I will check in with our friends in Guelph, Ontario, uh, and talking about, like, what are you guys doing about the school stuff? My wife will ask and they'll say, well, we're sending them back because there's only five cases in Guelph and we're calling from a place that has five, or as I'm speaking to you anyway, over 500. So there's a difference in terms of context, right? That's all I was getting at there. So when you say, I'm sure in your region the the uh, the infection rate is relatively low. That's why you were able to open up your cafe, right? And everything's going well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was able to open my cafe because I was never actually obligated to close. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, anyway. You know, uh, anyway, but yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but you're you're right. I and I'm not saying. I think what's not healthy for people is the what I'm finding challenging. Just overall is speculative information yeah being, well there's it's a leadership being absorbed issue. Yeah, as yeah. fact that's the part where i'm like turn off the news because you, you're forgetting that there's more speculative reporting than there is factual reporting today we so are just yeah be care be careful how you inundate yourself you know you take a breath like you can judge for yourself what is best for you it is a weird perfect storm where our information sources are so we don't all share the same information sources like i can tell you what i read on CBC and someone will say, well, I read something on Reddit and I think that's right. And we just go on, you know, no one knows Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly who to trust. And I don't know where that has come from. I do know, but it's just a bad time for all of this mistrust of information. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And that's exactly why I say you can only you need to know that you can trust yourself and how you feel. And that is you're allowed to use that as your voice of reason and your voice of how you want to conduct yourself. But also, it's a lot easier to trust somebody who's standing in front of you that you can actually have a conversation with than somebody that you want to get into a Facebook debate about. You know, I mean, let's be honest, like, that's where we need to be. We need to be connecting in, in person, not not online. 
You almost sound like my old therapist, actually. So I, oh. <laughs> I think actually, Vish, I forgot to tell you. I should have disclosed earlier. I had a long conversation with your therapist before our interview, and they were very forthcoming. <laughs> well, that is wrong on many levels, and I don't appreciate you prying into my affairs, <laughs> if I might say. So you you mentioned that you're back, but you don't know. You mentioned that day after your record came out, like, what do I do if I'm not touring? Uh, behind a, a critically acclaimed, you didn't say this, but I will say this is a very total freedom, excellent record, critically acclaimed. You came back and, you know, all the media were there for you. All your fans were there for you. So that must feel good. But what literally have you now that a, a week or so has passed since the record's been out? What are you thinking? Or what's, what is a next move? What can you do uh, without a touring, um, a, a tour in your future? What do you what, do, what are your plans at the moment, Kathleen? Well, it's it feels it feels a little daunting for sure to have spent 3 years making an album, recording an album, doing all the things that I did to get to actually last week when I put it out and knowing that I'm not going to be able to tour it anytime soon. So the problem is is that we you me everyone are really unable to make plans mm. right we can't yeah. plan that's the one thing that this has really removed from our sort of from our entire existence is the art of planning so um i'm going to take it a day at a time and the days and the weeks where i have to navigate the possibility that i might have a record that's come out but i'll you know this sort of this sort of like you know you strike while the iron's hot that kind of thing is maybe not going to happen for me and um i've had to confront that reality many times in the music business right um that it might not be what i had hoped it would be and that doesn't change the fact that i know i did really good work and i have a cafe that i i'm interested in investing my energy into if I can't go and tour and that's really valuable and important to me and financially it's terrifying I mean I last year I went through a really difficult personal thing that that I needed to hire a lawyer and spend a lot of money Mm. on a lawyer and I thought well I'll just make it through until I can start touring again and then try and pay that debt off and you know there everyone has financial setbacks with COVID musicians lost their job overnight they can't plan for when they're going to actually earn money again and we're going to be the last ones back to work that's terrifying but the universe will find a way to keep turning and turning and turning and it will something will you know we just take things a day at a time right now are you or are you or have you been writing in this period no and i really truly commend people who have been productive. I know it seems like I've been productive because I put out a record during co- the height of COVID, but really I haven't been terribly creative. My energy is really focused on going back to being a startup business again and then doing all the things that have been fun, like talking to people about my music mm. and doing interviews. But I, I also don't, I don't write under stress. And I think some people like manage all of their difficult emotions by actually being creative and productive in that yeah. way. And it's not really my thing. I do it when I feel good. I've come to realize. Well, you have total freedom, if I might say. 
That's what you've. That's what. That's the theme. The theme is, I think, humanity and freedom. Basically, is where you're at. Ah, oh, thanks, man. That's that's a huge. Thank you. The, that's very. I mean, I, that's a lovely compliment. Yeah, I agree. I agree with my compliment. I don't know how why I said that, but I do. I agree with you that it was a good. Never mind. What uh, <laughs> if people want to learn more about you and total freedom? Given all we've said about disconnection, social media, the internet. Still, let's let's promote the internet a little bit right now. Where would you send people to learn more about you and your music, Kathleen? Well, I have an official Kathleen Edwards Facebook page, um, and I have this amazing group of people who are constantly putting content up, and so they are really good at making sure if anything is worth mentioning, they do that. So they do the, like, Raw, 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 Kathleen Edwards, <laughs> and then I generally am on Twitter and a little bit on Instagram. But I really, I do genuinely love. I know I kind of poo pooed the internet a lot mm-hmm. just now or social mm-hmm. media, but actually I've had wonderful exchanges with people on Twitter and some of the kindness and compliments and people sending me pictures or videos of their gold album spinning on their record player once they once they received it in the mail. I mean, that stuff makes my day. Like, it's wonderful. And so Twitter is generally my place where I kind of have a peek behind the curtain, see what, what's going on. Yeah, and I think I've seen members of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers praising you on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, well, Ben Montench, um, the keyboard player of the Heartbreakers, he actually played on two of my records. And, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers uh, are heroes of mine. And mm. it's truly one of my life's greatest uh, highlights to know that I, I've, i you know, got to meet them and that Ben Mont played on some of my music. And I just threw it up the other day because Wild, a Wildflowers demo is coming out or has come out and you know wildflowers was a hugely important record in my life and then i just sort of threw out an idea that i would maybe record a few songs of my own from in honor of of wildflowers and just you know as a tribute to to that beautiful piece of work and and so Bemon, i think is he's always so lovely he's a lovely man well he's yeah he he i think he loves you and i and i i think uh that's great. I feel like you're in a great place, and I'm happy that you are here and making music and you're back for whatever that's worth. Uh, I, I hope uh, that's resonating with you from from other people uh, as well. Um, if we can go out on a song from Total Freedom, would you pick one for us, Kathleen? And if so, which Ooh. one and why? Whoo. Okay, let's do Hard on Everyone. Okay. And... I'm going to pick that not because, well, I'm going to pick it because I feel like it's one of the strongest songs on the record. And it speaks to the what we talked about, that we are a product of our influences. And so then maybe people can be like, yes, I totally hear what you're talking about. It sounds like you ripped off the war on drugs. Um, <laughs> and I, oh the third I, reason, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I hope that's... Uh, I hope that's not what I said. You've you've heard this from other people. This sounds a bit, well. You kidding. heard it from your band. I'm yeah, kidding. Okay. I mean, okay. look. Yeah. Listen, man. Compare it to whoever you want. I I feel good about yeah. it. Um, yeah. Except don't compare it to Kid Rock. Um, I already did that. See, I've made many mistakes <laughs> during our conversation, and I'd like to apologize before we end. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. What, what's and the, the third? Third thing? reason I'm going to pick it is because, funny enough, I wrote this song about someone who was hard on me. 
unrelentingly. And it took that experience to be reminded that I, in fact, am hard on myself sometimes. So I have this song has evolved from calling somebody out for being abusive. And in return, it has been a good reminder that even especially right now, we allow ourselves to to be hard on ourselves. Yeah. So let it maybe like let that be the your weekly mantra of like maybe this week I'll catch myself saying something kind of not kind to myself and I'll take it back. That's an interesting point because it may actually color how I listen to the record after we're done in terms of is the you someone else or is that Kathleen? Is the I Kathleen? Is it someone else? Just the pronoun sort of uh, adoption there. I just, you're going to make me wonder. Like, I, I think that's, I have this thing I say, I've said it ad nauseum. When I'm angry at my kids uh, for something, I find that if I think about it, I'm actually angry at myself because they're little reflections of me. So I imagine as a songwriter, you're becoming aware of that. Like I'm addressing a you, but there's a little bit of me in that you, isn't there? There is a book called The Four Agreements that is a very simplistic explanation of how you can shift your entire thinking about your personal connections and relationships and how you can conduct yourself slightly different to remove all the drama and discord in your life. And one of those agreements is take nothing personally. Hmm. And when people get mad about something like you getting mad at your kids, if your kids read that book, they'd be like, dad's mad at us right now, but it's actually not about us. He's yeah. going through something. And exactly. I think you just nailed it on the head. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that goes on with a lot of us in a lot of ways. And maybe that's uh, fodder for our next podcast conversation. Kathleen, this has uh, been a pleasure. I want to introduce everyone now to Hard on Everyone from Total Freedom, a great new record. And uh, Kathleen, thank you for this. Thank you for coming back and the best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Very, very special thanks to Kathleen Edwards for being on this, the 560th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all Apple and Google platforms and other things too, like Spotify and YouTube and whatnot. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. Oh, there's a... I misspoke there. It's semi-regularly scheduled. It's a semi-regularly scheduled newsletter. Maybe I'll get to it this week. Anyway, more information about all that at vishkana.com. You can follow Creative Control on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana. It's on some other social media things too i guess also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain the existence of this podcast if you like this podcast if you like this interview with kathleen if you want to hear more things like this in the future please visit patreon.com slash creative control and donate whatever you can a dollar a month two dollars a month six dollars a month fifteen hundred dollars a month whatever you can afford is appreciated and again you can change the amount uh, or cancel, I guess, at any point. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to live at MasseyHall.com, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Uh, also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts uh, for their in-kind support for this show. Three of those places are in Guelph, Ontario. One of them is in Hamilton. I'll leave it to you to figure out which... Well, I'll just tell you. Granddad's Donuts is in Hamilton. The rest are in Guelph. I don't want to have you driving all over the place. Just, that's where they are. They're great. They're all great. I love them. I miss them. I don't get to partake of their wares these days because I'm in Alberta. But still, they're fantastic. Also not in Alberta, Jim Guthrie, a dear old friend of mine. The music you're vaguely hearing behind me speaking right now was made by Jim Guthrie. And like I say, he's a a dear friend and I, I love him. So how about... You go to jimguthrie.org and learn more about Jim. Uh, thank you to 
for listening to this show. Not uh, Larry, Bono, The Edge, and Adam Clayton. I meant you. Thanks to you as well. That's what I meant to say there. For listening to this episode with Kathleen Edwards and for potentially, uh, you know, subscribing to this podcast or telling your friends about it uh, and, you know, this episode and others. That's great. That's all I can ask. Just keep making the thing. Hopefully people like you figure it out, you discover it, and then you're like, oh, my, 560 episodes. Well, that takes care of this road trip. I'm I'm listening to that. That would be the ideal. But anyway, I appreciate you listening to this episode, following the show. I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.